Improving health literacy, the ability to understand and act on health information, is key to improving health outcomes and lowering costs. Welcome to the Health Literacy 2.0 podcast, the podcast series from EdLogix where we talk with business, HR, health, and community leaders and explore unique, data-driven, and effective behavior-changing solutions that can help improve people's health literacy and increase their engagement with health and wellness programs. For show notes and bonus resources, visit www.edlogix.com forward slash podcast. Okay, let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us today. I'm so pleased to have the opportunity to speak with Shauna Moran, who is a leader in this field of remote and hybrid workplace, has focused recently on employee burnout. She's written a book that we're going to talk about. So I'm really pleased to have the opportunity to talk to you today, Shauna. Thanks for spending the time with us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Seth. Well, great. I'd love to have you just tell us a little bit about your background and a little bit about this Operate Remote company that you have and what you do there. As we were talking already, I mean, you're living and breathing operating remote, right? Because you live in a pretty remote little island off of Vancouver. You're a role model for us all. But give us a little sense of your background and how you came to this and what you're up to lately. Yeah, great question. Thanks. My business is Operate Remote and I'm a human-focused remote and hybrid team coach. Essentially, what I do is I work with remote and hybrid teams and leaders and employees to create, you know, better workplaces, higher engagement, reduce or increase productivity. And ultimately, that's to me what it's all about. And my personal mission is to reduce the Sunday scaries. You know, that feeling where you're sitting on the couch on a Sunday night and you're dreading the Monday. And I want to create a world where the Sunday scaries don't exist. And my work started off, you know, when I was working as remote employee in Ireland about eight years ago, seven years ago at this stage. And I was working remotely and I absolutely loved it. I loved everything about it. I love freedom. I love not having to commute. And just the opportunity to work with people all over the world from my own home was absolutely incredible. But I also had a lot of challenges when it came to remote working. And one of those challenges was around my own well-being. And how do I show up for myself? How do I manage my health, my mental health and my new routines and schedules when I'm working and living from the one place? So that mm -hmm. for me was the biggest challenge. And, you know, throughout my journey, it led me down path of deciding to actually go and research remote teams and understand what is it that made remote teams and remote employees and leaders ultimately successful. And while I was working, I went back to university and I studied innovation management and I based all of my research around remote teams. And I worked with lots of different companies uncovering the secrets, if you will, to successful remote working. And within that, I identified a lot of challenges, the dark side around flexible and remote working as well, right? Things like isolation, like burnout. And I uncovered some strategies around that, around how we can actually reduce those problems. Then I started to operate remote. I had a lot of people approach me asking for support with their remote team and I decided to go back and qualify as an executive coach because 
you know, when we look at really changing cultures within organizations, it does require a mindset shift. And that's where that coaching comes in. And then, you know, I was working on my business full time and the 2020 pandemic hit and everyone was working remotely. I had also moved from Ireland to Canada at that time. I also had a big shift in my life, living into the value of freedom and remote work. But yeah, my inbox was just exploding with so many companies, so many leaders. What do we do? We're trying to survive. We're trying to figure this out. Yeah. P.S. We're burnt out. Yeah, thank you. I mean, it's so interesting because at first when you say this, we think, okay, so this did this all happen during COVID. But as you mentioned... It started way before that. I personally have been a remote worker for probably 20 years. I consider the airport my office (laughs) because I would fly somewhere every week, literally, sometimes to a headquarters, but oftentimes to client meetings, et cetera. And many of my colleagues were in the same situation. So I want to hear about these secrets, believe me, but I want to also raise this issue of general mental health and burnout. We know that Prior to the pandemic, we had, at least in the U.S., but globally, there was a horrible opioid epidemic. Even the Surgeon General in the U.S. had written about a loneliness epidemic and the relationship to health and loneliness, something to the effect of being worth smoking 15 cigarettes a day when you're lonely. The research on this is very strong. Burnout in some cultures feels like, oh, you're weak and you're not strong enough, just buck up. And yet we all know, I personally felt that sense of burnout when I was kind of going, wow, not just another Zoom call. Oh my gosh, back to back to back. I have no fun interactions with my clients anymore, with my colleagues. So, you know, people do have a sense of this and so timely. Mm -hmm. So talk to us a little bit about that For me, I've been a big culture of health person. How do we shift the culture? And then now all my clients were asking me, okay, well, now that we're virtual or hybrid, how do we continue that culture? Because when you come in and you do on-site events and you can do all the things that we all know about that build culture, that's one thing. But having town halls via Zoom, not so much. So tell us, tell us some of your secrets. (laughs) We're excited. Oh, I have so many things to tell you from that. I actually took notes on a couple of those points that you mentioned. So the first one was isolation. So remote workers prior to the pandemic are more prone to isolation and loneliness. And this has shown in research time and time again. Remote workers are also seen to have higher productivity levels than their office counterpoints before the pandemic as well. And if you think about the reasons for this, we work primarily alone in our own home. Exactly. There isn't those water cooler moments of interruption. There's no distraction. There's no commute. Productivity is higher. So our output is generally higher. But also we're not getting that interaction. So the isolation and the productivity is what we're trying to balance here. And I remember when the pandemic hit in March 2020, And LinkedIn and the Mental Health Association delivered a piece of research that said on average, March alone, people were clocking up an extra 28 hours of work, the equivalent of about four days per month. You know, that was in March. So why was that? Without going too much into the past, 
the isolation was very much present. The distraction was very much present. And people couldn't understand how do they switch off from work and how do they have that separation? Technology was amazing. It supported us in being able to work from our own homes and keep going with our jobs and our organizations and our businesses. However, technology also has a dark side. We are so connected now more than ever before. So we really got to see, do we have these healthy boundaries or not? Do we have these irrational fears around switching off from work or not? Do we have the psychological safety where people can feel like they can measure their work and that they can switch off from work at a reasonable hour? So all of these things came into play, coupled with the fact that most organizations weren't, and some of them still aren't, equipped when we speak about remote first processes. And what I mean by that, Seth, is reducing those back-to-back-to-back meetings. And when we look at remote first, we lean into high-quality meetings, shorter durations, more effective, and we lean into asynchronous communication, which is what we're doing anyway, Slack, email, documents, project management boards, but we use that as a way to information share and use our meetings for deeper collaboration opportunities rather than people being fatigued by having to just listen to another update. So I love that, you know, everybody can relate to what you're talking about, which is so perfect, right? And this idea of higher quality meetings, you know, we've always said, hey, let's have an agenda. Let's be prepared beforehand. All those things about what's best practices for meetings now become even more important. This idea of shorter, you know, also give me a break in between and the idea of how do we use our email, our Slack, our chat, because, you know, all of us, I'm getting texts, I'm getting emails, I'm getting chats. It's just coming while I'm talking to you, right? So how do I protect myself? So it's so interesting to me For example, I found being an impatient person and wanting that snap, snap agenda that I had to take five minutes in the beginning of the meeting to hear about the weather, to ask about the cat on that guy's shelf behind me, to see what's happening that, oh, a kid just ran in the room and that we had to change a little bit of that to, as they say, you know, embrace the moment and just really except that this was going to be a changing world. Do you see that as something that kind of happened and that's part of the new secret, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question and a great point. We did have to really see the human behind the screen. And I do believe that we have opened up much more to the human-centric element of work. And building, you know, it leveled the playing field for everyone. It didn't matter if you were a CEO or if you were an apprentice. You were all working at home, going through the same challenging world experience that was happening. So there was a camaraderie in that. And there was an opportunity for people to really see each other truly and to see everything else that's going on outside of just their email inbox or this particular Zoom meeting. It was the kids that we didn't have childcare for. You know, it was the small room that we were working in because we had four or five housemates. 
you know, and we didn't have a dedicated workspace or it was the person that was living alone and hadn't seen anybody in three or four months. So it opened up the gateway for those conversations. However, I would say we weren't equipped to go beyond that. A lot of people weren't equipped to have the conversations. You mentioned at the start, you know, there is a stigma around burnout. One of the first things that I talk about in my book is burnout has nothing got to do with strength of character. You know, it can affect anybody. And I've realized that from coaching hundreds of leaders over the years from C-level to, you know, junior employee. It does not matter. It has nothing got to do with your strength of character. But we weren't equipped to have those conversations. You know, if we did have a colleague or a team member say to us, hey, you know, I'm feeling overwhelmed and I'm not quite sure what to do. That kind of brings up a bit of panic in people. It's like, okay, let's move into fixing mode. What can we do immediately to fix you? Rather than what I talk about in the book is how can we move into a coaching mindset so we can actually start to get people to think for themselves, to develop deeper levels of self-awareness. Because really, when it comes to finding our own answers, we need to find those within ourselves. They're not going to be suggested by anybody else. Well, I love this idea of coaching versus fixing. And one thing that I saw, we can go beyond the pandemic. I mean, now it's just a way of life, whether it's coming or going. The shutdowns are a little less, but COVID is here. These epidemics are here. But what I saw during that, and I continue to see, is a lot of leaning on the leaders. Okay, we need more management training. We need managers to better understand the managers are also burnt out and <laughs> also feeling the extra pressure. All this stuff is going on for them. So I guess, how do you, what's your recommendations for employers as they lean heavily into managers and some of these practices you're talking about? Great question. And I'm so glad that you asked it because, you know, in the book, I had done so much work on this, but I really wanted to structure it in a way that made sense, right? Because even we've spoken about a lot of different things here. We've spoken about meetings. We've spoken about developing your self-awareness. We've spoken about the leader. And that's really what this book is about is a three-part framework because there's three key areas that we need to work on if we want to reduce burnout in our teams. So the first is the self. So number one, how are we equipped as individuals to understand our capacity, our limits, our boundaries, our self-awareness? The example I gave was the first time I burnt out as a very young remote worker who was very ambitious and overworked and didn't have those healthy boundaries, right? So how are we equipping ourselves to understand our own stress levels, our nervous system, to understand what are the habits and the routines that serve us and that really work for us? And how we're setting up ourselves in terms of managing our workloads and our work days and being able mm -hmm. to say no and not yet and prioritize. So that's the first piece, the self. The second piece is the leader. So leaders account for up to 70% of variance in employee engagement. And as you said, Seth, how are these leaders supposed to show up for their team if they are exhausted themselves? One of the biggest problems that I see. And leaders, there's a whole chapter of it in the book. It's so important that we lead by example, because when we lead by example, we create the psychological safety for our team to be able to step into more healthier routines for themselves and switch off from work and speak up and ask questions when they need to. 
So for leaders, it's really important that they're looking at their own mindset and their own beliefs around this, but how they're actually structuring their conversations with their team, how they're equipping themselves with coaching frameworks, for example, rather than moving into firefighting and fixing, how they're creating time for deep work as opposed to being reactive all the time to multiple screens and notifications, and then being able to have conversations around a couple of key areas, which is also leading into the third piece of the book, which is the organization. So when we look at the key pieces of impact and influence on burnout, it's this. Ensuring that we are managing workloads effectively. So Mm -hmm. that has to start from the top. That has to start from the top down. We can't put all of that on our employees. It has to start at our leadership team. How are we having that centralized workplace? Are we understanding what the capacity of each department is? Are we prioritizing that, having regular conversations around that? That is a huge, huge piece. The second piece that's really important is leadership support and consistent quality leadership support. So do your leaders have the time to have one-to-ones with their team? And if so, what's the quality of that? What's the quality of those conversations? Are we equipping people to be able to have coaching conversations and develop that self-awareness? Yeah, these are three really great areas and so interesting. We could go deep on all of them. For a second, I do want to touch on the leader one. In an organization that I worked at, we used to call this shadow of the leader and that everyone casts a shadow. So your role model kind of point of view, so important. And I think the term leader, though, often is taken too literally in that you're only a leader if you have direct reports, for example. Whereas I think there's a opportunity to define leader as we're all leaders. We all cast shadows. When we're in a meeting, how we behave kind of shows other people how to behave. You know, the way you're organizing this is so helpful. I want to ask you, though, a little bit more about, and I don't know if you go into this in the book at all, but navigating the behavioral health, mental health care system is so challenging. It's different, obviously, all over the world. In the U.S., we have a complicated system. You're in Canada now, but you've been in Europe. Do you have a sense of, I think people worry about, okay, is burnout kind of a clinical thing where I need to go to a therapist or do I just need to take a nap or do I just need to do the things you're talking about, which is set some limits, Mm -hmm. have some good conversations with my people, give me some me time. Where does it kind of cross to a clinical issue and how do we help people navigate the system? Yeah, great questions. So burden really is stress that hasn't been managed effectively. You know, in simple terms, that's what burnout is. So it's stress that hasn't been managed effectively that is continuous over time. So when we feel stress, like stress can be a good thing, right? When we have that project deadline or we're trying to get something past the line or we're moving house or whatever it is, stress can be a good thing to kind of kick us into adrenaline and keep us going. Burnout happens when we're in that state for a prolonged period of time without winding down. So we're in the fight or flight response continuously. That's when burnout starts to happen. So that's when it becomes a problem. It shows up differently for people at different stages. There are a couple of different stages of burnout. 
Some of the most common things that I see in teams is a lack of engagement, more cynical, you know, that maybe is abnormal behavior for them. They're more cynical about their work. They're not as enthusiastic. That kind of exhaustion, even though there has been rest present. And for your question, it was at what stage do we go and seek help? And for me personally, you know, it's a really important question. I think, can we proactively go before it actually happens, before we actually feel that burnout? Because it takes a long time for us to recover from burnout. And I see this a lot with people that change jobs. You know, they move into another job because maybe they were burnt out in their past company and then they still have the same kind of problems and exhaustion in the next company. So can we get to that stress before it becomes an issue? And I really think, you know, a lot of companies now are providing wellness benefits and different, you know, um, different support systems for their employees. So if that's available, why not go and talk about how you're managing stress? Learn more about yourself, develop that self-awareness, understand what are the ways that, you know, are maybe causing you stress? Where are you not managing your stress effectively? What are some of the old belief systems and maybe trauma patterns that you have that are, you know, keeping you overworking or trying to overachieve all the time? Right. Because there's layers to this. I'm not a counselor. I have a degree in psychology. I'm not a counselor. So I'm not an expert in this. But I will say that I do know that the leaders and the employees that take that self-leadership and actually say, I'm going to learn more about myself and look at why are some of these patterns showing up. So, for example, if you're struggling to get to sleep every night after a full day's work, that's something you probably want to look at. If you're finding yourself, you're unable to focus like you used to, again, that could be a potential red flag for you to look at. So just bringing that curiosity can really be helpful and actually kick us into let's manage the stress. Let's let's complete this stress cycle so it doesn't turn into burnout. I think it's great. And it fits into your first step, which is self and self-awareness and kind of really noting that. What I find interesting, and I think, you know, we talked a little bit about this earlier, is sometimes the information out there is so hard to digest and to really understand what we call health literacy, to be able to really understand information, know where to seek it, have the skills, the confidence to navigate that system. So, yeah, I want to learn about sleep, but there's like every different version of sleep cures out there, or yes, I need to do some meditation. How do I do that? So, you know, I've been working with a couple organizations, one in particular, that's very committed to kind of this health literacy concept of which a huge amount is in this kind of mental behavioral burnout space. They're called EdLogics. And at some point we could have a conversation about how they use a platform to engage people who are burnt out who are trying to work on their mental and physical well-being to understand some of those issues, but also how to navigate it. And they like to really leverage mm -hmm. some fun, some games. So when you learn, learn through some quizzes and some you know challenges and little things like that. They like to take data and they like to use videos. We all learn through videos these days. So I know there's a lot of resources out there and I like to encourage people who are listening whether for yourself or for others, to know, just as Shauna just said, your organizations have a lot of resources available to you. 
and you can take advantage of those. There are a lot of people out there that are willing to support you. I did a webinar on well-being during COVID, and we said, look, we know sometimes you're so burnt out, even like picking up the phone or searching to find the resource is hard. So just send an email saying you need a little help. We got a number of people mm. sending us emails. They need a little help. Mm -hmm. I do want to make sure we get that message out to everybody that this is common. You're not alone. You have resources. And to please, as Shauna said, kind of some self-awareness yeah. here to like, you know, it sounds easy. Set some limits. I'm sure people are telling you, you know, hey, put the phone down or get off the computer. But you go, oh, well, one more email. It's so important. You can't help others unless you help yourself. Yes, you have to put on your own oxygen mask first. You know, you really do. And, you know, sometimes it's not about, we live in a world where there's so much information that we move into fixing mode for ourselves immediately. Okay, I'm feeling stressed. I need to go and read this whole book on sleep and listen to sleep podcasts for four weeks. And that can be great, wonderful. It can give you information. But how do you take the information from knowing to actually doing? And that's the key here. You know, so what is preventing you? Like, you listen to your own body. You have that wisdom inside your body. Your body's so smart, you know. And if you're feeling that stress, you can probably identify the couple of key areas where it's coming from. You know, for example, are you on those back-to-back -back meetings? Just, just curious though, when you've talked to so many people, like you said, all the way from CEOs to line folks, is there a common theme around taking care of myself, feeling kind of guilty to give myself yeah. my own time, my own space? How does one kind of deal with that? It seems kind of universal that we want to, you know, take care of others before ourselves and- yeah. You know, I personally, I get up super early to go take a run before I go deal with everybody else. And even sometimes I feel a little guilty about that, you know. So how do we help people with that one? Yeah, it's, you know, there's a couple of reasons why people have that guilt or that fear. Sometimes that fear can come from the culture itself so that people are afraid to switch off in case they're seen as not a good employee or not a good leader or not a good worker. Or we create an irrational fear in our mind that if we take time for us, we're going to let other people down. I see that a lot with leaders, that what right. if my team needs something while I'm eating my lunch away from my desk? And when I coach people, they've created those neural pathways in their mind that they really, really do believe that. So when I coach others, it's about reality testing that. Let's look at that fear and let's lean into that fear and actually see what happens. You know, I work with a lot of leaders around turning off notifications and setting boundaries, removing slack from their phone. And this is a process. This brings up a lot of anxiety for people because they've been always so connected. So coaching is a great way to actually help us create new neural pathways and new habits and actually have the support of reality testing very oftentimes, those irrational fears. Yeah, we could talk all day about this. We could talk all day, I know. So one of the challenges is to create this kind of culture of well-being, culture of health. And when we went virtual, as I said in the beginning, it was hard. You know, maybe people were sending little some things to your house to surprise you. But 
it was really hard. So can you give some key recommendations to folks out there? You've already given us a lot to think about and organize. But if you were really going to say, okay, I want to help you build this culture of health and well-being and productivity and support, what would be the couple, two, three things in this remote hybrid world that you would recommend to help employers that they they could start tomorrow on? Number one for employers, it's to identify what the root causes are around why our team members are burning out. It could be a number of things that I mentioned here today. It could be a couple of things. It could be one major thing. But if we don't identify what the root cause is, we're just going to be putting a plaster over a deep wound. I have a free resource. It's a video course, an eight-part video course, and I can link it in your show notes so you can share it with your audience set. But it brings employers through a process where they can actually collect the data to identify, okay, these are the two main root causes of burnout within our organization and starting there, putting your efforts there. So for example, if you're adding all these wellness benefits to your team and you're doing yoga and meditation workshops and all of that, but your team are stuck in those back-to-back meetings all day, it's never going to work, right? Because they don't have time for it. You know, if your leaders aren't giving that consistent ongoing support, but you're trying to you know, educate leaders on what wellness means and your leaders are burnt out themselves, it's never going to work. So you need to identify what the root cause is. That's number one. Number two is support your leadership team first. So taking them through their key pillars of influence is really, really important. So leaders know, how can I influence my team's well-being? What are the tangible things that I can actually do to support them with this? And then how can I coach them on this to develop deeper levels of self-awareness? And number three, how can I lead by example? What are the ways that are serving me and my team when I lead by example? What isn't serving me? So getting leaders equipped, feeling good, reality testing some of those old beliefs and understanding what they can actually do because that's the challenge for leaders. I could do 20 things, I could do 100 things, but what's actually going to work? And again, that's what I cover in the book. I love it. So if people want to learn more about you, Operate Remote, or your book, what should they do next? Yeah, you can head on over to my website. It's www.operateremote.com. But I will include that for you to share in the show notes. I'll include the link to the book with a discount for any of your listeners. And then I'll include the free course as well. If there are any employers out there that really want to make a real difference to well-being in 2023. I so appreciate the work that you're doing and that you've done and your willingness to share it and support everyone. So I wish you the best and thank you again for your time today. Thank you, Seth. And thank you for holding space for these really important conversations and for the work that you guys are doing as well. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for joining us today on the Health Literacy 2.0 podcast, the podcast series from EdLogix, where we talk with business, HR, health, and community leaders and explore unique, data-driven, and effective behavior-changing solutions that can help improve people's health literacy and increase their engagement with health and wellness programs. Remember, for show notes and bonus resources, visit www.edlogix.com forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe and share the show with your colleagues. Thanks and see you soon.